This is episode 18 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today we are looking at articles that deal with the survival rules of three, an in-depth explanation, blizzard safety tips. We also have a special interview with Brad Harris of Full Spectrum Survival. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's get started. Our first article comes to us from Survival Sullivan. And again, the title of this article is The Survival Rule of Threes, an In-Depth Explanation. So let's go ahead and get started into this one. Uh, Most people don't think about how quickly a situation can turn deadly in the wilderness, and many people struggle with what to prioritize when it comes to stockpiling for an emergency or SHTF situation. When you first begin to read about prepping, one of the things you see referenced often is the survival rule of threes. Preppers adapted the rule of threes from wilderness and survivalists, but it can be used to help you prioritize in just about any type of emergency. The survival rules of threes are you can live up to three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food. While not hard and fast, the rule refers to the amount of time an average adult can go without certain resources before it becomes fatal. If you look at these guidelines, what would you determine is the most important thing to secure first? It's clean or fresh air, right? Since you can only survive three minutes without air to breathe, that would be your priority if you felt your supply of air was in danger. Instead of wasting your time trying to determine which task should be done first, you can use the survival rules of three to guide your next steps. There are always exceptions to the rules, of course, and it should be treated more like a guideline than a set-in-stone rule. Sometimes you will have a logical reason to disregard it. Let's imagine for a moment that you and some friends decide to get together for a day of hiking up a mountain in your local area. You've hiked before. You and your four friends get together every year for the day, just not on this specific mountain. You usually hike in the summertime, but this year some of your friends weren't able until mid-fall. For the sake of our example, let's say it's late September. You arrive with your friends at the parking area below the trail, which will take you up the mountain where you've decided to hike. Everyone clamors out with their day packs and you all head up the trail. After about an hour, you pass a sign on the trail that indicates cell service beyond this point is sporadic. And you tease each other about which one of you will go into texting withdrawals first. It's great to see old friends and you spend a good part of the morning pointing out nature's wonders as you hike up the trail. About halfway up the mountain, John complains of a mild headache and admits he skipped breakfast and probably just needs to eat. Everyone is starving from the morning's hike by now anyway, and the group stops for lunch and quickly devours the food they brought. Someone points out that the map shows a stream not far off the trail, and since it's a warm day for September, the group decides to head that way and cool off by waiting. After about 45 minutes in the stream, the group heads back to the trail and continues up the mountain. Finally, the group arrives at the top of the mountain trail, nearly 8,000 feet in elevation. The view from here is breathtaking and time flies by as you wander around the summit snapping photos of the valley below and the view of nearby mountains. John who has just been sitting on a nearby boulder complains that he is short of breath, dizzy and feeling very fatigued and wants to head back. You pull out your cell phone and wireless hotspot and consult your American Red Cross first aid app. 
From John's symptoms, it appears he could be suffering from early stages of altitude sickness. The instructions suggest rest as a first step, but since John was just sitting while others were taking photos, the group decides to take the next step and proceed to a lower altitude to see if that helps. Since Wi-Fi is working but cell service is not, you send a quick message to John's wife back home to let her know what's going on and tell her you are heading back down the mountain. John seems to be moving okay and is showing no signs of confusion, but he is complaining about being fatigued, so frequent stops are needed to help him rest for several minutes at a time. By the time you reach the spot where the group ate lunch, it's already very late in the afternoon. It's obvious you won't make it back down the mountain before dark, and it looks like you're going to have to spend the night somewhere along the trail. It will be dark in several hours. John seems to be breathing easier, but the temperature has dropped significantly as the sun goes down and it is getting cold fast. Now what? A quick inventory of the supplies that everyone brought along with them for this day hike reveals that between the five of you there is less than a liter of water left. Supplies also include a couple of granola bars, some peanut butter crackers, a lighter, a life straw, two canteens, two Mylar emergency blankets, a set of walkie-talkies, and a paracord bracelet. Your first instinct may be to find more water or to look for wood to start a fire or to find food or even figure out a way to get help to the mountain since your cell phone is still out of range. Think again about the rules of threes. Three minutes without air. John's breathing is better and he's on the mend. Three hours without shelter. Definitely a need. Three days without water if you have shelter for extreme weather. You have less than a liter but there is a stream nearby. Three weeks without food if you have shelter and water. When you climb too high on the mountain, for example, and John experienced trouble breathing, your first order of business was to move lower down the mountain to make breathing easier for John. In your home or during a bug out, you'd want to have something on hand that would quickly help you to protect the quality of the air you breathe or to filter it such as a bandana or an N95 mask if air quality was compromised. Immediate symptoms from lack of or inadequate air can be shortness of breath, headaches, coughing, gasping, chest pains, and your nail beds changing colors. Long-term effects of lack of air or inadequate air are weakness and fatigue, confusion, disorientation, lack of consciousness, and even brain damage. The next critical resource, believe it or not, is a shelter. This one trips people up sometimes because their instinct is to secure food, water, or fire first. But shelter, especially in extreme weather conditions, is a very critical resource. The average adult can only survive three hours without protection from the elements, whether it be extreme cold, extreme heat, or extreme rain and wind. Good manual dexterity, tying shoes, working a button, or tying knots begin to suffer in temperatures below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Therefore, as long as the air you are breathing is not in danger, the first thing to secure is shelter to protect you from the elements. If it's cold weather, then yes, you could include building a fire under this category for added warmth. You'd be surprised how long you can survive in temperatures below zero if you have adequate shelter that blocks out wind and rain. The immediate effects of not having shelter in extreme weather can be sunburn, shivering, cold or numb extremities and face, cold duress or the need to pee, red cheeks uh, and nose or extremities, goosebumps due to horripilation and chapped lips or skin. Long-term effects of not having adequate shelter in extreme weather or a frost nip and or the most serious frostbite, sunstroke, heat stroke and sun poisoning. Once you have your shelter in place, the next thing to think about is water. 
The average healthy adult can only survive approximately three days without water. You may be 100% certain that you can get back down the mountain once it's daylight, but you will be exerting yourself and so will others in your group. The sun will come out and it will be warm, which will cause you to sweat and expel water. Having enough water for the trip back down the mountain will be important to your success. Immediate symptoms of not having water are thirst, dry throat, chapped lips, nausea, and more. Long-term effects of not having adequate water are disoriented, hallucinations, and more depending on the length of time and health of the person. Even though not having food to eat might cause you more immediate discomfort than not having water or shelter, it is extremely possible for an average adult to survive up to three weeks and sometimes longer without food. Immediate symptoms of not having food are a headache, stomach rumbling, stomach pain, feeling dizzy or weak. Long-term effects of not having food are muscle weaknesses or lethargy, melancholy or panic, weight loss, low pulse rate, and lowered blood pressure, slowed speech, and even organ damage. Exception to the rule, survival rules of three. As we mentioned earlier, the survival rules of three was built around the premise that the person in danger is an average, healthy, physically fit adult. There are, of course, certain people who are the exception to this rule and therefore are at risk of serious health problems or death much sooner than the time frames indicated by the rules of three. These people are the elderly, young children, diabetics, severely underweight or overweight people, anyone with chronic or pre-existing health problems. Now let's get our group of friends settled in for the night so they can hopefully get down off the mountain in the morning. You and your group know, know you need water since it looks like you may have to spend the night and John isn't feeling well. The survival rules of three guidelines indicates that shelter should take priority over water and the group realizes that everyone, especially John, needs shelter from the wind and falling temperatures before it gets too dark. Since our still... Since there are still four able members of the group left, the decision is that Bob and Sue will go for water from the creek everyone waited in earlier, and on the way back from getting the water, they will collect firewood for a fire. You and Jack will stay with John on the trail near where the group ate lunch and collect some pine needles, branches, and other material for the nearby woods to form a barrier against the cold ground. Jack will also use the paracord bracelet and one of the mylar blankets to erect a lean-to with the open side facing the trail where the fire will be built. John is wrapped in the second mylar blanket. Jack hands one walkie-talkie to Sue and gives Bob the mini flashlight from his own keychain in case it gets dark before they get back to the trail. Bob and Sue set off for the stream with the life straw and the two canteens. You and Jack start collecting materials first and then proceed to work with the paracord to get it long enough to string between two trees. About an hour or so later, your group is huddled under the lean-to with a fire built and two canteens of filtered water. The natural materials Jack found are a good barrier from the cold ground. You use your hotspot and phone to communicate with the local ranger station and let them know where you are and what's going on. They tell you they are sending a guide and EMTs to get you down the mountain safely tonight rather than wait till morning because a storm is predicted overnight. Thanks to the survival rule of threes and some calm decision making, you'll be home in a couple of hours, no worse for wear. The group decides to divvy up the granola bars for supper and settle in till help arrives. From just this one example, hopefully you can see how the survival rule of three can help you guide you survival, your, your survival decisions but not dictate them. There will always be exceptions, but if you understand the basic concept, it will help you to make informed decisions about when to break the rules and when to stick to them. 
All right, so that is from Survival Sullivan, and he does have some links that you want to go ahead and, and check out and click on there uh, at his website. And again, like always, I will link to all the uh, articles that I'm uh, discussing or reading on the Prepper Website Podcast. I'll link to it on the show notes so for episode 18, uh, definitely on this one. So um, I, I want to go into this this uh, interview here. So the whole the way that I'm doing this podcast, of course, you know, I'm a pretty busy, some of you know, I'm, I'm a pretty busy person. I, I have a, a job during the day. I'm also a bivocational minister. Um, I run and, and manage Pepper website and I decided to do this podcast. And so I, you know, sometimes I wonder, did I bite, I bite off more than I could chew, but I, I, I mean, thoroughly enjoying it and I'm, I'm finding that I can do it. I'm doing it late in the evening. But, you know, some people asked if I was going to do interviews and there's just no way with the way that I have this set up. I would be doing interviews really, really late at night and um, I just, it just really wouldn't work out. So one of the ways around that is I figured I could do written interviews where I can send questions off to people that I'd like to interview and they would uh, respond back. They would type out their answers and I would be able to read them and that would kind of fall in line with what I'm doing here at the Prepper Website Podcast. But then the other, the other side of that is if there was someone that could do their own recording if I gave them the the questions and they could do their own recording, well, then I could also tie that in to uh, to the podcast as well, and then that way I, it just wouldn't be my voice. And so for this first interview, I'm, I'm happy to say that I have Brad Harris from Full Spectrum Survival. Um, I do link to his stuff on Alt News Hub at Prepper website. Um, it is linked in there, but he has a video. Uh, a, a YouTube uh, channel and does some good stuff there. He does uh, like a, a daily update, but then he also does a lot of other stuff that he's going to talk to you about here. Now, so uh, on this first interview, because this is kind of like I'm filling things out as I'm going along, I, I didn't give Brad, I guess, enough instructions on on what what I was looking for. I know that he's probably, uh, he's a professional, so he's probably thinking that I'm going to cut and edit and cut and edit. I just don't have time to do something like that. So um, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't ask Brad to read the questions that I'm going to ask him uh, as far as, or that I asked him as far as he responded to on his, um, uh, when he recorded his own voice and recorded his answers. So, um, but after listening to it, uh, it it flows really nicely, so I think I'm just going to go ahead and let it play out. I'm not going to necessarily read the questions here uh, beforehand. I'm just going to let it play out and go from there. I think you're going to be uh, it's going to you know, you'll be able to track with it and and see where he's going with everything. So it's a good uh, good information from Brad Harris of Full Spectrum Survival. So uh, let's go ahead and go to that interview now. Well, I started considering preparedness, I guess, in 2005 with the birth of my first child. And it was really at that moment that I realized that our whole society, myself included, my wife included, relied heavily upon corporate and government sources for the continued supply of items that you and I consider essential to life in our modern world. And it was really with that realization that my wife and I decided to step outside of the box and begin considering ways that we can provide for ourselves rather than relying on others to provide for us. We started learning how to grow our own food, which is something that, you know, beforehand we hadn't considered. 
overcoming the challenges of soil restoration and container gardening. And we really consumed all of the information that we could, uh, you know, to learn survival techniques, especially primitive survival techniques, uh, foraging for wild edibles, um, wet wood fire starting, shelter creation, and how to not just survive, but how to better enjoy ourselves on camping trips and in the woods without the need for, you know, a vehicle, a vehicle's worth of supplies. It was through this that we worked to better prepare ourselves and our families for an emergency. And, uh, you know, we, we reached out to some NGOs and everything and decided to learn trauma assessment and first aid so that we could mitigate the damage for ourselves and for others and care for others in the event of a personal disaster should one affect us or our family. In this regard to us, survival is not a doom and gloom. Uh, it's not this impending doom that we're fearful over. Uh, and it's not the picture that the mainstream, uh, you know, puts on the face of survivalists. We are definitely survivalists and, and people who are prepared. For us, it's a methodology of preparedness and one of independence that gives my wife and I, as well as our friends and our family, the assurance that if a natural or geopolitical disaster should strike, will be less reliant on others to minimize that damage and to recover from the crisis uh, where others will be forced to rely on the government you know, to come pick up the pieces. Current non-government researchers and statistics both show us that the world is far overdue for a biological threat and one that has the potential to reshape life as we know it. We are literally at the end of the age of antibiotics and at the very beginning of the age of gram-negative bacteria that is becoming increasingly untreatable. As this threat combines with the potential for a global pandemic, biological threats on a wide scale remain a top priority for us on our watch and plan list. I think that like everyone else, I started out more as a kitchen sink prepper or survivalist that is to say that I considered my need for gear to be a top priority for my personal survivability. As my preparedness progressed and as my wife and I worked on honing and building new skills rather than buying new gear, we found that our survivability increased while our need for gear decreased. Now, of course, gear is an important part of every preparedness plan and redundancy is still a key part of ours. However, as our skill sets increased, our dependence on gear lessened, and this has allowed us to both enjoy the outdoors and our times of skill practice more, while also ensuring that we will know what to do in the eventuality that our gear fails. When I first started the YouTube channel Full Spectrum Survival, my main focus was skill sharing for wilderness and urban survival. As I became more aware of the world around us and more aware of the events that are taking place that matter to us in our community, but that don't make it to the mainstream, I saw a missing piece to the puzzle, or at least a missing piece to my own puzzle. And I fell back on my programming background and created a trending algorithm, a spider that searches the internet in over 10 different languages, 24 hours a day, goes through chat rooms, social media, news outlets, forums, uh, all around the world, and seeks out events that matter to me or matter to us in the community. Uh, once I saw it work for myself and used it myself for a few months, I started implementing the data into what is now the World News Update 
on the Full Spectrum Survival YouTube channel, where I broadcast the alternative news that the government and the mainstream whitewashes, or at the very best glazes over, to retain control of the societies of Earth. With that, my mission plan with Full Spectrum Survival is, of course, to deliver important events that are happening in the current news cycle, such as the ongoing disaster at Fukushima, the viruses that cross the species barrier around the world, and the riots and social discontent that the media fails to discuss. And then I work to provide survival and preparedness information on the weekends so that the aware in our community can work to become more self-sufficient and more ready in the event of a disaster. I'm working right now with some great people to create micro-movies. Uh, these are short films that are based in the survival and preparedness genres. My aim with these micro-movies is to create fictional settings that can be used as a teaching tool and can engage the thought of the viewer to consider why the characters in the film may or may not have taken one course of action over another. If anyone hasn't seen it yet, I suggest that they go to my channel or search on YouTube for the apocalyptic short film Surviving the Collapse and let me know what they think. The micro-movie, of course, and I would say just try the World News Update on YouTube and the Crisis Tip videos and see if you get out of it what others do as we all learn together and move forward. And, you know, we're all learning. So if someone sees something on my channel and they say, hey, I think you could have done this better, please tell me because you might have a way to do something that, that really trumps the way that I'm doing it, and I'd love to learn from you too. I would like to say thank you for listening and for being here and, and for having me on the podcast. Our community is so strong and it is always growing, and together we can work to awaken others that still rely on the government or rely on NGOs to protect them and care for them in the event of a disaster. Just search for Full Spectrum Survival on YouTube or go to fullspectrumsurvival.com and see if you like what we have to offer. Thank you again so much for having me on here, and thank you for having the Prepper website. All right. Well, I, I think that was a lot of great information. I really like the way that that worked out, um, and so hopefully you enjoyed it as well. I'll be linking to Full Spectrum Survival on, um, on the, the show notes, on Episode 18 show notes, as well as that that little um, you know, mini-movie that he made. I, we did link to that on Prepper website. It was a popular, a popular uh, link. There was a, a lot of click-outs on that one. But I'm going to go ahead and I'll embed that there on uh, episode 18 in the show notes if you want to hit that uh, as well there too. But you, know, you definitely want to hit his YouTube channel. He's got a lot of good information, a lot of good information there. All right, so let's go ahead and finish up with our last article. And this is coming to us from Doom and Bloom, uh, my favorite people, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And uh, I think this is a very timely article. If you are listening to it here in the next uh, couple of days, um, it's Blizzard Safety Tips. And they're supposed to be, uh, we're in the middle of March, um, but and it's, it's, it's crazy out there. I mean, there's like snowstorms coming. And so, uh, you know, Dr. Bones is uh, in, in touch with what's going on there, weather-related and everything else related. And so he realized that it's important to kind of get this information out there. So hopefully it'll, it'll help someone out there make some good decisions. Uh, Blizzard safety tips coming to you from Doom and Bloom. All right, here we go. I find myself a little surprised to be writing about blizzard survival with spring just around the corner, but weather forecasts are predicting a particularly nasty blizzard for the East Coast. Strong winds and a foot of snow are possible from Maryland to Maine. March came in like a lamb, but is acting like a lion for those in the Northeast. 
Winter storms, this one is named Stella, occur every year in the United States and cause fatalities among the unprepared. 70% of deaths occur due to traffic accidents and 25% from hypothermia from being caught outside during the blizzard. With Stella's strong winds, trees, and power lines burdened with heavy snowfall may topple, causing additional hazards. If a blizzard knocks you off the grid but you're still in your home, a great place to be. Keep everyone in, in an inside room, preferably without windows. The heat from several bodies will make a smaller space warmer. Heat in the home can be conserved by shutting the doors of unused rooms and drawing blinds and curtains to add insulation. Stuff towels under the door to prevent loss of warmth from the room you're using. If you're, if you're using some form of alternative heat, however, make certain that there is reasonable ventilation. Perhaps for mishaps by having a fire, sorry, per, prepare for mishaps by having a fire extinguisher handy. Staying hydrated is important. You'd be surprised how much a family uses, so fill the bathtub with water. Plumbing might be kept from freezing by allowing faucets to drip. Stock up on non-perishable foods. Uh, so just a side note here, when uh, Dr. Bones is talking about filling up the bathtub with water, I know just from reading past articles, he's not talking about filling it up with water to use um, to drink. You definitely, you want to stay hydrated. You need to have your water for hydration, but um, you definitely want to use your water in case in the bathtub in case later on you need to take a, a bath if, if like the water gets completely frozen over so you want water to take a bath and water to flush the toilets and, and those kinds of things you definitely need you don't want to use the water in the bathtub for drinking there's no way that you can clean a bathtub well enough so that all the the junk that's in the bathtub doesn't go into you know your drinking water so if you need to um you know one of the the things that i learned a long long time ago is to make sure you have some plastic bags uh, garbage bags and you can line any kind of container even a dresser drawer a tote a plastic tote anything and fill that up uh, with water so you, you line that with a plastic bag and so the tote or whatever that container just serves as a way to uh, form you know hold the the plastic bag but the plastic bag would be clean and you definitely you don't want the kind that has a, a smell to it um, but then of course fill up all your pots and, and everything else you can all your pitchers with water so you have those uh, to drink so definitely, uh, you want to stay hydrated, even even in the winter, even more so in the winter time, right? Okay, so uh, continuing on, winter conditions don't just affect people; they affect cars as well. Cold affects rubber and metal. It even decreases the battery efficiency. Tires become stiff and flat for the first few hundred yards. Motor oil and other lubricants become thicker at cold temperatures. This makes the engine work harder. Therefore, vehicles that will be doing duty in extreme cold should be winterized. This involves switching to a lighter viscosity oil, changing to snow tires, and choosing the right antifreeze ratio of coolant to water. Gas tanks should be full if at all possible. Outside in a blizzard. You're not a bear, so you can't hibernate through the cold weather. You'll have to take measures to avoid getting stranded out in the cold. Many deaths from exposure are avoidable if simple precautions are taken. The first thing that you should do before planning a day outside in snowy weather is consult your weather radio for the forecast. If a storm is on the way, postpone your outing until the weather improves. Dress appropriately and in layers. Each successive layer of clothing traps warm air near your body. 
Wool is the best material for staying warm. Unlike cotton, wool will stay warm even if somewhat wet and wicks perspiration away from the skin. Wet clothing will cause you to lose body core temperature faster. Mittens will keep your hands warmer than gloves. Seek shelter. Some people might be caught by surprise when a winter storm hits the backcountry. If you're in the wilderness, seek some form of shelter immediately to get out of the wind. There are many types of shelters, but one can be made in a tree well. A tree well is a sunken area around the tree in a very deep snow. This area is relatively easy to excavate and, if the tree has low-hanging branches, should provide some protection from falling snow. Look for natural barriers nearby that may serve as windbreaks, but beware of slopes where you may be exposed to drifting snow or avalanches. The space you dig out should be small, as small shelters take less effort to keep warm than large ones. Pack your snow wall, walls well, which retains heat better and can support a makeshift roof. Place evergreen bows and debris on the floor to protect you from the cold ground. Then add some on top to make a roof. Tarps or solar blankets may also be used for this purpose, but the winds might easily blow them off. Tie rocks to the corners as weights. If a tree well is not an option, digging a cave out of deep snow can serve to insulate you from the wind. Think igloo. If you make a fire, be sure to have ventilation holes in your shelter. Entrances and ventilation holes should open at a 90 degree angle to the prevailing winds. Stay hydrated, but don't eat snow. Your body must first melt it and lose heat as a result. If you don't have fire to melt snow, put a container with it in your clothes, but not next to the skin. Hyperthermia and other cold-related medical issues are covered here. Stranded in the car. The first question you should ask before you get in the car in cold weather is, is this trip necessary? If you don't have to leave the house in a snowstorm, don't. Period. If you do, drive as if your life depended on it, because it does. Don't speed, tailgate, or weave from lane to lane. Make turns slowly and deliberately and be careful to avoid quick stops and starts. Let's say that, despite your best efforts, you're stuck on the road in a blizzard. Help may be on the way, but what if it isn't? It's important to stay calm and don't leave the car. It's warmer there than outside and you're protected from the wind. Wet snow can block up your exhaust pipes and can cause carbon monoxide gas to enter the passenger compartment. You'll need fresh air, but don't crack a window on the side where the wind is coming from. If you're in a group, huddle together as best you can to create a warm pocket in the car. Rub your hands, put them in your armpits, or otherwise keep moving. This will help your muscles produce heat. Maybe you can dig yourself out, but beware of overexertion in extreme cold. You'll sweat, and wet clothes are a main cause of hypothermia. If you have flares, use them to let others know you need help. The Winter Survival Car Kit there are a number of items that you should always have in your car, especially in cold weather. These are meant to keep you safe if the unthinkable happens and you're stranded without hope of rescue. Your Blizzard Survival Car Kit should contain wool blankets for warmth. Wool can stay warm even if wet. Spare sets of dry clothes, especially socks, hats, and mittens. Hard, hard, I think hand warmers or other instant heat packs activated by shaking. They'll last for hours. Matches, lighters, and fire starters to manufacture heat. Flashlights and candles. Keep batteries in backwards until you need them to extend life. Small multi-tool with blades, screwdrivers, pliers, etc. Large combination tools like a foldable military surplus shovel. Some are multi-purpose and can be used as an axe or saw. Sand or rock salt to give traction where needed. Tow chain or rope. Flares. Starter cable for, jumper start, for jump starts. Water and food. Energy bars, MREs, dehydrated soups, candies, 
baby wipes for hygiene purposes, a medical kit and medications, tarp and duct tape, brightly colored ones will be more visible and aid rescue, metal cup or thermos to melt snow, make soup, etc., noisemaker or whistle to signal for help, cell phone and charger, or weather radio. A March storm can be deadly as one in January. With a plan of action, a few supplies, and a little luck, you'll survive even in the worst blizzard. So a lot of good information there from uh, doomandbloom.net. You definitely need to, if you are traveling and you are up there up north, you need to make sure that you you do have some kind of kit in your car. Um, and that that's just should be that should be automatic for those of you that are up there. You never know. There's always those stories of people who get get stranded uh, for whatever reason and uh, you know have to spend the night in their vehicle and sometimes even multiple multiple days or they wind up having to leave their vehicles. All right, guys. Well, that's it for uh, episode 18. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. Again, uh, appreciate all of you who are sharing out the website. We make it very easy for you. If you come to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com, um, we have all the social media links there, so it makes it easy for you to, to share it out. And definitely, I do thank you, those of you who are even uh, sharing it out by word of mouth. Um, I, I just want to, again, if you have a, a chance to... Uh, Come by the website and drop me a line. Uh, I always love to hear from people that are listening to the podcast and you know what they're getting from it. I'd like to know how you're listening to the podcast. You know, are you listening to it, uh, you know, at your laptop or your your desktop? Are you uh, listening to it while you're going to work? Uh, even you know what kind of program or app you're using. Um, that would be interesting to me. But uh, anyway, again. Come by the website, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I always love to uh, to hear from you. All right, so that's it for today. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with other articles to share on uh, this podcast. But if you are looking for more preparedness information, don't forget that you can go to PrepperWebsite.com. Uh, we up, update that daily with great preparedness information. All right, guys, until tomorrow, until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.